Welcome to the Fit Balanced Healthy Podcast. My name is Hannah, and I'm a certified personal trainer, nutrition coach, health mindset coach, functional nutrition, and metabolism specialist, and the creator of the Fit Balanced Healthy brand. Ladies, I get it. This whole health and fitness thing can be frustrating and confusing AF. You've got a career, family, and a life that you love, but this piece of your life is one where you still feel stuck. That's exactly why I created Fit Balanced Healthy. I cut through the BS to help women improve their health, achieve their fitness goals, and find balance in both their bodies and lives. So if that sounds like what you need, you're in the right place. Let's dive in. Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Fit Balanced Healthy Podcast. I'm your host, Hannah, and I'm so excited to be here with you for another exciting episode. Today, we are going to be talking about a topic that I think is so important, especially because I'm around the age where this is very relevant in my life with my friends that are around the same age as me getting married and thinking about or planning for the future or maybe already have kids. And I think this is something that is relevant even if you never plan to have kids or aren't really sure yet. This is still an important conversation to have because we're all going to interact with kids in our lives, whether it's our own or someone else's. And we also have our own childhoods that we need to take into consideration here. So this conversation today is going to be about fostering a healthy relationship, mostly centered around food, but we're also going to talk a little bit about exercise and with your body as well. Helping kids foster a better relationship with food, body, and exercise. And this is actually going to be from a call that we did with our clients with our registered dietitian, Sarah, who has two kids of her own and has some really unique perspectives as a dietitian who works in the NICU at her hospital. Obviously, she's not working with toddlers there at the hospital, but she does have two of her own and has applied a lot from her own experience. So I'm excited for this conversation and to share this chat that we have with Sarah with you all today. So with that being said, we're going to dive in pretty quickly because this is a longer episode, so bear with us through it, Um, but I think it's still so important to have this conversation, have this talk, to consider these things and understand where maybe some of your own behaviors or thoughts around food, exercise, and your body came from because they do start as early as childhood. That's where so many of our ideas and habits and mindsets really start and form, or whether you are thinking about having kids in the future. Maybe you already have kids and you're wanting to help them foster a better relationship with food, exercise, and their bodies than maybe you had yourself. And now maybe you're doing a lot of work on to improve and repair in your own life. So we're going to dive in very shortly. want to take a quick moment as usual to remind you if you love what you're hearing so far in the Fit Balance Healthy Podcast, if you would be so kind as to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you listen. If you drop a review, a written review over on Apple Podcasts and send me an email to fithandfoodie at gmail.com and show just proof of your review. You will be entered in to win a free coaching session with me. So leave a review, spread the love, share your favorite episode with somebody that you know that might find it relevant. Maybe this episode you find it helpful and you know somebody else who might too and get a chance to win some free coaching while you're at it. Now, all of that aside, we are going to dive into our episode, so let's get to it, and we're going to press play so you can hear this conversation with our registered dietitian, Sarah. 
So let's go. Enjoy. So today we are talking about fostering a healthy relationship with food. Obviously that's one really important piece, but I also want to touch on exercise and having a healthy relationship with your body, because I'll, I think all three of these things really connect together and not only for like your kids, whether you have children right now or not, or maybe you're thinking about having kids in the future, or maybe not, maybe you're just like, okay, I want to understand where some of my own thoughts around food and exercise might've come from. Obviously it's not all just how we are raised. It's other influences in society as well, but I think this is going to be such an important conversation on all fronts. So I have Sarah here who is obviously team registered dietitian. I'm going to let Sarah kind of take the lead on this call. Um, just talk about like why you feel like you are the best person to talk about this topic. And then we can kind of dive in. We'll start with like nutrition first, because I feel like that's the biggest, biggest area we can talk about today. Yeah, definitely. So in case you don't know me, I'm Sarah. I am the team registered dietitian. I work in a acute care hospital. I live in Florida. Um, I've been working in our NICU for the last year. Um, I cover adults also, which was what I've always covered, but the NICU was something new for me. Um, I do have two boys of my own. I have a four-year-old and a one and a half-year-old. And when I got pregnant with my first, I kind of really took an interest to children's eating habits and like, uh, learning more about how to feed kids and what kids needed and behavioral wise, but also obviously nutrient wise, we all are worried about making sure our kids get enough nutrients. But, um, I think a lot of times there's a deeper part of that and it's behavioral and we, learned this at a very, very young age, whether we realize it or not. And so I'm hoping to touch a little bit on that today about how we can potentially affect the way that our kids develop their own eating habits and develop their own taste for things, their own, um, mindset towards food relationship with food. Like we are fostering that right now. I say right now, a lot of my discussion will be talking about this sort of like toddler phase that I'm in. And that ranges anywhere from, I mean, I would say four down all the way to like newborns. I want to say like six months, you start eating solid foods. Right. So, um, we can take and apply any of these things that we talk about today to any age of raising kids. Um, And a lot of these things are things that we have had to work on ourselves and it's just kind of things to be aware of and to remember whenever you do start talking about food and talking about exercise, we'll talk about that also, but even if you don't have your own kids, I feel like this is still such an important conversation because like. I'm sure there's kids in your life that you're going to come across, whether it's like your siblings, kids, your nieces and nephews, just kids you're around, like you having this knowledge and having this better perspective on food, exercise, your body, and like having that good language to have those conversations is going to be so impactful on that kid's life because we don't realize how much this impacts us growing up. I mean, truly we are the most intuitive eaters that we could ever be like at, like at such a young age. And then we're so quickly and easily influenced by everything that's around us as we start to get older. So this is where I think this really comes into play. 
Yeah, definitely. And I just want to preface this whole conversation with, I'm not um, telling you that you should parent your children any certain way. Um, I am fully aware and uh, accepting of all different styles of parenting, all different styles of you know, what works best for your family is not going to be what works best for mine and vice versa. And I'm hundred percent aware of that, but there are a lot of principles that we can sort of take away from this, that you can either apply to your future family. You can apply to your current family. Um, and just kind of having your, in the back of your mind, whenever you're addressing food with kids. So I guess with that, I will jump into the first kind of point. Um, and I want this, especially since it's such a small group, I would love to kind of like hear if you guys have any comments or questions or concerns or your own, like you have a little like, Oh, I've, I've had that before, or I've heard that, or I've seen that or whatever, like, please put it in the chat. Like I'm not, I want to be as interactive as possible especially because it's such a small group. Um, and if there's anything specific that you would like addressed, I would love to try to address it. Um, also a disclaimer, I do not, my hospital does not have a pediatric unit. So everything that I'm speaking of is from my own research, my own application. Um, we only have a NICU and then adults. So we don't have that middle ground where I can sort of see all kinds of different medical cases that may be causing someone to have food issues. Um, and that applies especially to like ADHD and autism. Those are becoming more prevalent diagnoses and I'm not specially trained in those areas. So these are going to be habits and tips and stuff for generally healthy children. So I just want everyone to sort of understand where I'm coming from with that. Although my background is majority medical, I don't work with, you know, children with special needs outside of the hospital or even on an outpatient basis. So, um, okay. Anything else before I get started, Hannah? No, I think that's, that's a good disclaimer just because there is so many different things to take into consideration. So if you obviously have a specific question, feel free to ask it. Um, and if Sarah can't address it, it's definitely, you know, one of those things to, to take to your doctor or to Sarah might have a resource that she can point you to, um, in the future. Yeah, definitely. So current research is showing that children are having more aversions and more, disordered eating patterns when they are being forced to eat certain foods or being forced to eat certain amounts of foods. And it's all kind of coming to light in our generation because I feel like we were sort of the guinea pigs for that. Like we were taught that you had to do all these things. You had to eat everything on your plate. You had to eat everything that was made for you you had to eat it. Right. And your parents were usually the ones that were serving you. Um, and if anybody had a different experience than that, please let me know, but I can guarantee almost guarantee that all of us or most of us have felt that way around one or 
most of our family members, even if it wasn't directly our parents, maybe it was a babysitter, maybe it was grandma and grandpa can't say no to like one more serving from them. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, I know when I was growing up, the clean plate club was like a big thing. And my parents always were the ones serving us. And literally you had to eat everything on your plate. And the thought process behind that was meant to be harmless, right? It was meant to be like, you should try everything on your plate and you don't want to waste anything. And those were like the two mindsets behind that. But it sort of starts to train your brain that no matter what is on your plate, no matter how much is on your plate, no matter if you like it or don't like it, you have to eat it. And that in turn creates food aversions where you're being forced to eat something that you really don't like. And then you, in the future, when you have a choice to to either eat that food or not eat that food, then you're obviously going to choose not to eat it because you've been forced to eat something for so long. If you guys have any specific foods that you now won't eat because you're parents maybe forced you to eat so much of it, or it was cooked a way that you didn't like it. For me, mine was steak. And that sounds so silly. My dad cooked, like, I don't even know what kind of steak he cooked. Honestly, I feel like I've sort of blocked it out of my brain, but, um, it was like, I don't know, a New York strip or something. And he probably split it between all of us. And this was in probably early two thousands, maybe. And he cooked it I felt like it was overdone. It was hard, chewy, tough, but I had to sit at the kitchen table and eat it until it was gone. No matter if I'm gagging or whatever, like I had to eat what was on my plate. And I'm sure that. Yeah. I actually stopped eating meat for eight years because I was like, Oh, I hate meat. Like I hate when my, my parents cook it, but like, I have to eat it. Like, and so the same thing I can totally relate. Yeah. And I didn't try meat. I didn't try steak again until I was probably like 21 or something. I would go to friends' houses and they would be having steak. They'd be like, Oh, I love steak. And I would be like, Can't relate. Yeah. Make some chicken <laughs> nuggets, please. Like, yeah. Yeah. So by forcing kids to eat things that they don't like, we're sort of creating in their head that, like, number one, they have to ignore that taste preference and they also have to ignore their hunger and fullness cues. Mm-hmm. And so I know that for me, that really showed up in eating out. And I think that's something that a lot of clients can relate to is like, now that we had this mindset that was instilled that we had to finish everything on our plate, when you go out to a restaurant, like you said, it's hard to listen to our hunger fullness cues because we're, 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 we're learning that we need to eat everything on our plate, even though at restaurants, most, in most situations, we're being served portion sizes that are far too large, like a standard serving that you would get at home. And so here you are stuck in this mindset. I have to finish this entire plate. And now you're eating past fullness and you feel gross and uncomfortable and sick to your stomach. And this just becomes this whole disordered pattern. Yeah. So I think, you know, the best way to combat that aspect of things where, you know, you're filling your kid's plate up and you're expecting them to eat the whole thing or you're giving them something brand new and you're expecting them to eat all of it, whether they like it or not. And I feel like most millennial parents are learning that that's not the only way to like get kids to eat, but a lot of them don't kind of know how to truly tackle it and how to introduce new foods and still help their kids eat nutritious foods without sort of having that good and bad, right? Like 
that's what we were taught. And that's what versus unhealthy. Right. And that's what we're having to unlearn now is like, no cake is not bad. It's just, we're not, there's a time and place, right. And there's an amount that's appropriate. And that, that is going to make us still feel like we're enjoying something that we really like the taste of, but we're not overindulging where we feel like crap. And that comes with reestablishing that connection between our brain and our belly that we for so long diminished. And we just like quieted that, that communication. Um, and so a few things that we can do to help our kids start establishing good habits early on. The first thing is, um, giving them smaller portions to begin with. And I, when I tell you a small portion, like you would think that I'm serving a bird. If you saw my kids plates, you know, at the beginning of the night when I'm just setting them down on the table, but serving them just a few bites of each thing that you want to introduce can be really, really good because it lets them try something new. The second part of that is to, especially when you are serving something new, to also include things that are familiar to them and that taste good to them that you know that they're going to eat. And obviously kids taste preferences change all the time. Like they could eat something every single day. And then one day a a switch flips and they're not going to eat it anymore because of God knows what reason. But the, the point of that is having things on their plate that we're not too sure about and having something familiar with it sort of makes them feel at ease a little bit, a little bit comfortable, a little bit more willing to taste the food that they're maybe unsure of because they have other things on their plate that they know that they like. And the other part of that, that helps them to taste new things. It's not about how much they're eating at, at this point that I'm touching on. It's about sort of how to get them to incorporate those healthy foods that they're sort of unsure about that they may not have consistently, um, adding them in with things that they know and love. The other part of that is having, um, dinner or whatever meal together, whether it's just you and your child eating at the same time, or whether you have a large family and you can sit down and eat all together, you know, that says a lot that some other people that, you know, your kid knows and loves and trusts is eating the same things that they're eating. Yeah. That says a lot to them that like, it's safe. It's good. Okay. And And I don't know your thoughts on this, Sarah, but like, just to go along with that topic, I I heard something that, you know, kind of going along the lines of this is not hiding the fruits and vegetables in foods and stuff like that. The things that are like healthy foods. I mean, I think there's a time and a place for that, like sneaking veggies in, trying to get more into the diet, but the more honest and open you are about like what you're eating and like eating it together as a family and like making it this normal thing, the less likely they are to be like, Oh, ew, that's a vegetable. I don't want to eat it. Like, and they don't feel deceived when you're like hiding it in something because like you're forcing them to eat it. Right. And I'm, I'm guilty of that. Go ahead. I've tried to like start with Liam. We'll put like cucumbers, for instance, on the table and like, I'll just put them on a plate in the middle and I'll take some and then be like, oh, do you want some cucumbers? And he's like much more apt to grab, sorry, Lane is loud. Um, He is much more apt to like grab those cucumbers when I do. So then, you know, we just eat a lot of cucumbers. Yeah. I can totally relate to that. I was eating an apple the other day, like a whole apple. And my youngest Wyatt came up to me and he's a year and a half and he's sort of exploring in that 
like exploration of foods where he's sort of willing to try a lot of different things. Hasn't really, he can kind of tell me yes and no, he wants things or doesn't want things, but um, he pointed to my apple. He wanted my apple and he took a bite out of an apple. And I came home from work today and he had asked for an apple. He's like sitting outside eating an apple. And I'm like, okay, so we tried something new and he liked it. And now he's asking for more. And that's a cool thing. And obviously that doesn't happen all the time, but it is a cool thing when it does happen. My other question on this topic, Sarah, like with the small portions, do you also kind of like see from that, like it allows them to check in and be like, oh, I'm, I'm hungry. I want more of this thing and like start requesting. Absolutely. Yes. Um, so that was the other kind of cool and good thing about serving small portions is that it leaves it up to your child to decide if they want more of something and what they want more of. Right. So I always, um, tell them that they need to try one bite of everything on their plate. And that at least gives them, you know, they can taste one bite, tell me if they like it or don't like it. I'm not forcing them to eat the whole portion that's on their plate. But there's enough on their plate that if they do like it, they can eat the rest of what's on there. And sometimes they'll take a second bite and then they'll decide they don't like it. Sometimes they'll eat, end up eating the whole portion and then asking for more. And that's great. But the, the point of it is to give them the freedom to choose, right? Like you're not saying, oh, what do you want to eat? And letting them decide you're still setting limits of like, okay, this is what we're having. These, this is your choices Um, we have this spaghetti that we know that you like, we're going to try something new with some broccoli and maybe we have, I don't know, a glass of milk, something on the side, um, that they're familiar with. And then you just have this small, just a few little stalks of broccoli that they can pick up and try. And if they like it, they can keep going. Um, and it's not that you serve more of the things that they like or serve less of the things they don't like serving small amounts of equal foods is going to allow them to see that foods are equal. And if they like something or don't like something, it's okay. Um, and as long as they took one bite for me, that's enough. And of course you can make your own rules, but I think that that's really important to ask them to taste something and then move on from there. And it's not a fight. And if they start fighting me on it, like, it's just not a battle I'm willing yeah. to take on, but it like too, it's less like a rule and more like just an encouraging, like, Hey, yeah. like, why don't we try this? And yeah. we're creating less, like you have to do this and more like, right. what, like, what are we liking together? And and how do you, yeah. like, and I, do you feel about I've that? always tried to encourage, like, just try one bite. And then if you like it, you can have more. And if you don't like it, you don't have to eat anymore and it's okay. And I remind them that like, they're safe and that I'm not going to serve them anything that's yucky. and mommy and daddy are eating it too. And it's okay if he doesn't like it. And that's kind of how I approach it. And obviously everyone's going to have their own language, but I think one of the downfalls, even though it's so frustrating when your kid will only eat one certain item off their plate, one of the most important things that you can do is repeated exposure. And so even if they say, I don't like the broccoli tonight, if you have leftover broccoli and that's what you planned on serving tomorrow night, try again. And I saw a study that said something like it takes 20 something exposures for a kid to be okay with this new food. And obviously that can ebb and flow depending on what it is. But, um, 
it's just kind of crazy to think that we're kind of the same way as adults. Like, like our taste buds change. Like there's right. things I used to hate that like I surprisingly like now, like cantaloupe is my new thing. Like I used to hate melons and for whatever reason, now I suddenly started liking them. Yeah. And like, that is literally how I got Liam to like green beans. I would just put them on his plate yes. and he wouldn't eat them. And now if there are green beans, that's what he eats the most of. Yeah, exactly. It's just the repeated exposure that they're seeing that, you know, this same thing is showing up on their plate every night. They're going to be curious about it. They're going to want to try it. And maybe you try it cooked different ways, right? That can also change the way that a food is presented. If you tried it just like steamed plain kind of maybe with some butter and they hated it, maybe you keep, you try that a few more times, but maybe you mix it up and maybe you sprinkle some cheese on top, or maybe you, uh, roast it in the oven. Like there are lots of different ways that we can serve food, um, that will sort of act as a different type of exposure. Especially when like mom, dad, other siblings, other family members are eating it too. And they're like, Oh, now like I I keep seeing them eating it. Maybe I'm getting interested about it. Right. Um, I was going to just going to say, what do you suggest Sarah? Like when they get to the point of, they are saying like, okay, I'm done. I'm full. Like I don't want anymore. And they haven't finished their plate. How do you typically approach that situation in a, in a fostering a healthy mindset around food and the way that they kind of listen to their body? Yeah. So I approach that with, so usually the, the, there's a motivation behind it in my house anyways, like in my house, my four-year-old says, okay, I'm done so that he can go, you know, get ready for bed and, and have his 30 minutes of TV. And that's like his motivation to be done. And I'm like, okay, are you sure you're done? And he says, yes. I said, okay. So I take his food and, you know, the big thing in my house growing up was like, you don't waste food. We were not a high income family and you don't waste food. And so the reason I think we had to be clean play club is because it would be wasted if we didn't eat that. So what I tell them is that's fine. I don't make a big deal about it, but I do put it away in the fridge for later. And when he comes to me, inevitably, he's going to come back and say, I'm hungry, you know, before he goes to bed, whether he's like truly hungry or just procrastinating bedtime, who knows, but I give him the option. I say, okay, I'm, I have your dinner here that you said you were all done. I'm going to heat it up and we're going to sit down. And if you want more of that, then you can have that, but we're not going to waste food. Um, and we're not just going to go grab, you know, ice cream just because that's what you're that was craving. my next question so, is like, what are your thoughts on like dessert and how can we overcome that mindset? I think that's another thing that we get become so ingrained that like dessert yeah. is a treat and we always have dessert with a meal. So how do you approach that? And what are your suggestions there? Yeah. Um, it, this is a hard one for me because I've had a hard time breaking this habit. And so, you know, being totally transparent, it's hard for me not to say, okay, finish your dinner and then you can have dessert. Like that's really hard for me because I treat myself that way. And so I'm having to unlearn that behavior myself and sort of teach it to my kids. Um, So I think one thing that can help and a habit to sort of start incorporating is to include dessert with dinner. Mm -hmm. That sounds really controversial because 
obviously you don't want them to like just eat their sweets and then say, okay, that's all I want. I'm done. And like, that's really frustrating and that feels wrong, but kids are really, really intuitive. And if we keep putting this, this ice cream or dessert or whatever it is, if we keep putting it on a pedestal and saying like, it's this forbidden thing that we can't have until we do all these other things, Mm -hmm. they're going to keep wanting it. And they're, it's not, we have to make it less exciting. We have to make it more of a normalized thing. Same thing for ourselves, right? Like it's the same concept that we apply to ourselves and we're trying to have a better relationship and mindset with food, like, and sweets in particular. I know a lot of us have struggled with that at some point or currently do struggle with that. And it's just normalizing it and saying, okay, if I have this more often, if I make it something that's always available to me, that it's always around, like, it isn't this like special thing that like, you know, a, a lot of people can probably relate to like, maybe, you know, one of your parents would be like, okay, don't tell the other parent, but like this is a special treat that you get. It becomes this very, like, like you said, forbidden fruit thing. So we can normalize it more. Yeah. It's definitely, it's a really hard habit to break for me. It, it has been, um, but I found that having things in the house, like something simple, like Teddy grams or like, you know, the little bunnies or something, they are sweet, but it's not like, um, they also have some nutritional value to them. So if I incorporate that on his dinner plate and that's all he eats that, and like a few bites of the other stuff, then like, I don't, it's okay. Like it's not the end of the world that he in one meal doesn't eat everything from every food group. Like Mm -hmm. it's going to be okay. We have to relax a little bit. I feel like, um, I think the other thing that sort of that segues into is, um, I am guilty of this because it's easy, but kids love to snack. Like, Mm the second they feel hungry, they want to eat something. Right. And that's great that they're understanding when they're hungry, when they're not, but also understandable is that we have to have some structure in our life. And, you know, it is normal to have periods of, you know, ebbing and flowing of our hunger cues, our hunger hormones. It's normal to have that like up and down and, if we're just like constantly at a fed state all day long, uh, that's also going to turn off those. Not great for digestion, not great for blood sugar regulation. Even as a kid, I feel like that's an important thing for us to like be instilling that the structure and just like giving our bodies the time to rest and digest in between meals. And you could even provide a little bit of education around that. Like, Oh, it's important for us to, you know, um, give our body a break to, to digest the food that we had in between. If you do find your, your kid maybe wants to consistently graze and just like keep eating, um, well, just like really being mindful at the same time. Yeah. I try to, um, encourage let's drink some water and make sure we're not thirsty. And then if you still feel like you're hungry in 10 minutes, then we can go look and see what snacks we have or something like that. Like sometimes, sometimes they're bored, which we snack when we're bored. Same thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> right. So sometimes they're bored and they're not stimulated enough. And they're thinking like, Oh, well eating sounds fun. I'm going to go eat or, or they could be overstimulated too. Right. Where they're like, Oh, that there's like too much happening here. Like I just want to snack. Like how many of us right. go to food for comfort? Same thing. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So 
you know, having structure is important, I think, especially with young children, um, having mealtimes where everyone sits down together, they know that structure, they know that plan, like, okay, it's dinner time. And maybe you even work snacks into your day. Like, obviously every kid is a little bit different in what they need and what they want. Um, but having that structure is a really good thing. Yeah. And setting that example too. Like when you sit down for dinner time, it's the same thing that again, we're all working on like us as adults, like need to work on these things ourselves. So we can carry it over to, you know, whether you have kids now or plan to have them in in the future, or just like want to build these better habits of sitting down at the table and being present with the family and and setting that good example and putting away the screen so that you can tune into like what you're eating and, and chewing your food fully and being able to listen to those hunger and fullness cues rather than mindlessly eating, um, and really create this more mindful eating, um, atmosphere. Yeah. I think two more things that are going to help foster that sort of mindful eating and, you know, being willing to sit and focus at a meal. Cause sometimes that can be really hard. Um, especially like I have two boys. I know Megan, you probably feel similarly, but a lot of times it's hard to keep them sitting at the table. And so sometimes number one, turn the TV off while you're eating dinner because they will be distracted and not paying attention to any fullness or hunger cues, but turn the TV off. That's like step one, but also sometimes Decker, my four-year-old needs a wiggle break. Like he, it's not that our mealtime is lasting a long time. It's just that he's like, he's excited. He's happy. He just came off school. Like he's stimulated and he needs a wiggle break. And so we'll like set a timer or turn on a song. And he has that long to like get his wiggles out. He can dance, he can run, he can jump, he can do whatever he needs to. And then once that's over, he comes back to the table and like, okay, that time is over. I think that's such an important thing for us to consider too, as adults, like sometimes we need to just like dance it out. Like then that'll be, allow us to be more present. Like that just shows what a great example of like helping kids learn stress management too, which in turn helps them to become more present and in tune with their hunger and fullness cues at meals. Yeah, definitely. Um, and the, the other thing that helps them to not number one, not scarf down their food, but also encourages just like that slower chewing and, uh, encouraging good digestion is to encourage conversation at meals. So like ask them how their day was, ask them what they did. That was fun. Like ask them things that make them think a little bit and maybe even conversations around the foods they're eating too. Like, how do you like that X, Y, Z? Um, and we can provide some education on it. Like, Oh yeah, that makes you strong. That makes you, gives you energy. Like, do you like it? How is it making you feel like helping them get more aware with how foods are making them feel when they're eating them? Yeah. And kids love to learn. And you know, the more information that we're willing to share with them, the more excited they're going to be. So it's not forcing them to remember, but it's like, you know, we talk about how, green beans have vitamin C in them every single night. So it's like, you know, they're going to take that. My green beans are important to me because they have vitamin C and they help me do these things. And it's just a fun way for them to sort of learn why different foods are important and learn kind of unintentionally how to, how eating fruits and vegetables are going to help them 
and and why you know a balanced you know diet balanced plate is going to be so good for them versus like having that good food bad food mentality or healthy versus unhealthy it's like this thing that you're eating these carbs give you energy this protein makes you strong these fats make you feel satisfied you know these colorful foods give you um vitamins and minerals and all of these things together help your body stay healthy and i think that's just such a good language to use that the more you can talk about it the more it's going to get ingrained into their mind and help us really break the cycle of what we maybe, you know, our, our parents did the best they could they did with what they had. So nobody's parents did a bad job. It's just all the stuff that we're now a little bit more aware of, and we can start to do a little bit better so that we have better relationship with food in the future. Yeah. I have no doubt that our parents or grandparents were never intentionally trying to cause us, you know, to develop some unhealthy relationships with food. But now that you know, psychology has come a long way and food behaviorists have come a long way. We're able to sort of see that now there's fear surrounding certain foods. There's, um, this like almost like an envy, like, a you're, you're just treating this food like a treat or like a, um, a reward. Yeah. And, and we're having to unlearn that. And that's yeah. the unfortunate part of, you know, parenting is that there's going to be things that we don't even realize that we're doing that are going to cause issues for our kids later in life. But all we can do is the best that we know how to do. And so, you know, whatever, whatever that point is for you guys is okay. Like if you are just trying to make the smallest change and go from like, you know, using different language at mealtimes instead of saying like, you have to eat all of this and then you can have ice cream. Like if you just change that language and you start to incorporate dessert with dinner, they'll start to see the consistency and they'll start to understand and they'll start to get rid of those associations of good and bad over time, just like you are. And so the smallest changes make a difference. It's not that you have to like start you know, full overhaul and your whole meals in your house. That's silly. We don't do that for ourselves. So why do we applies to, to everything that we're going to be like, just briefly touching on before we finish up with exercise too, like you get to be the example, but again, that doesn't mean that like, you know, every little thing that you're working on changing is going to like happen overnight, it, but it does mean that we have to do some of the work first because we can't reteach and unlearn things unless we do that work ourselves and kind of understand where maybe our own mindsets and behaviors have come from and then do the work to work on those and change them so that we can be better, be different for our kids, um, use better language, more objective language, more descriptive language versus that like good versus bad mentality, whether it's food or exercise, um, you know, really focusing on that, like fueling your body and, and being strong and being healthy. Like when it comes to all of this, I think is so important. The more you use that language, the more you do this work yourself, the easier it gets to teach your kids and, and talk to it with your kids. Yeah. And the more you get them involved in not only learning, but also like they can learn with you, even if you don't know these things, like you can look it up together, like you can go search for a new recipe together and involving kids in all different pro all different steps in the process, right? Whether you involve them in cooking or you involve them in setting the table or getting cups of water or getting the there or cleaning up, like handing you the dishes from the table, like whatever it is, involving them is going to get them also more willing to participate because they know that they feel accomplished. Like they kids love to to serve and they love to learn. And that's 
crazy that it's just like engraved in their brain, but they want to help probably because they see you helping all the time. Yeah. Um, and one other, that, go ahead, Hannah. No, you finished what you're thought. Um, I was just going to say with that sometimes comes messes and like, that's okay. Um, I think getting rid of the idea that things have to be perfectly clean at mealtimes is, is also something that we have to unlearn. Um, especially when they're really, really young. Like my one-year-old is not going to be clean when he's done. And Mm -hmm. I had to, when my older one was learning how to eat and learning how to feed himself, um, I was like really stressed about him getting food everywhere, like all over himself, all over his clothes, all over whatever. And like, the more I thought about it, it was like, why is this bothering me so much? Why am I stressing about this so much? Because he's just learning and exploring and he's just being a baby. Like, why am I, why am I freaking out? Yeah. Trying to wipe his face after every bite. Like, why am I doing that? I would hate for someone to be wiping my face between every bite. And so I reworked my mindset and it makes for a much more enjoyable process for both of us when they're learning how to eat new foods and, um, learning how to dip in sauces and learning how to set the table and clean up the table and all this stuff. Like you're bound to make messes. Messes mm-hmm. can be cleaned up. Like yeah. it's okay. It's not the so end true. of the world. So being more I, open-minded and relaxed to that too can definitely help the environment. The last thing that I wanted to get your opinion on before we just like briefly touch on exercise, I think this relates to the topic of exercise and um, how you talk about and look at your body too, is just like, there's going to be a, a component of this process that isn't in your control. Like where kids are exposed to these things at school with teachers, other family members. And I think it's important, like from my perspective, number one, like you can always set those boundaries, like have the, be willing to have those conversations, especially if it's someone that, you know, personally, like a family member, like, Hey, I'd prefer that you don't talk about, you know, diets in front of my you know kid. Or if, if they are bringing things home from school that they're learning, that's like good foods, bad foods, like maybe don't be afraid to have that conversation with the teacher or at least like have, have an open conversation with, with your child around like, okay, what they're learning and maybe a different way that they can think about it or approach it or why that might, you know, might not be the best way to go about it. What are your thoughts there? I don't know if you've run into any of that quite yet, but, um, would love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I definitely have. We have uh, a very close relationship with my in-laws or the boys' grandparents and, they are still sort of in that old school mindset of like good and bad foods and um, talk about foods that are good for you and foods that are bad for you and stuff and um, sort of still have those, uh, that language surrounding food. And I've tried, I think the best way that I've tackled it is just, oh, you know, this is what we've been doing at home. This is what we've been saying at home. Um, and he's done really well with it. And like, I try to just phrase it in a way that's not like, Hey, you need to stop doing this because I don't like it. Or because that's not how I want to treat my kid or whatever. Okay. From like the gentle educational perspective that right. you with your child. It's like, Oh, this is an example of like how this is working for us. Maybe you guys should do the same. And I don't even say that. I just say like, Oh, this is really working well for us. Um, And if it is a hard, a hard limit, like, you know, they're serving him something that he is not safe for him, then I'll set that boundary, you know, um, especially with the younger one, you know, they say chips, nuts, and popcorn are not safe until they're about four. And so it's a choking hazard. And so I had to tell them like, 
hey, please don't feed them popcorn. It's a choking hazard. I've heard all kinds of horror stories working in the hospital, um, on Facebook, whatever, about kids inhaling by accident a popcorn kernel. And I'm not, I'm not trying to scare anyone. It's just like, hey, for safety's sake, it's recommended that they don't do this. You know, right. recommendations change, things change, and we always get the comeback of like, oh, when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. But it's like things are a lot different now. Things are different. Yeah. You know, that was. 80 years ago. Remember that these are the people too, that like, we are unlearning a lot of these behaviors. And so like, we have to take it all with a grain of salt and just be like very understanding, but also like be willing to set the boundaries around the things that we're learning. So, because this is what's important to us. And as far as school goes, um, especially if they're in an actual school setting, like a babysitter, you could approach the same way. And a babysitter, like you're paying them directly. A lot of times family members are helping out um, a, fam- a babysitter you're paying. So, and daycare you're paying. So I feel like it's a little bit more appropriate to set hard boundaries with someone that you're paying for a service. Um, but at daycare or at school, it is difficult because they are um, handling and dealing with a large group of kids. And I don't expect any daycare teacher or any school teacher to remember my kid's preferences or rules or whatever by name. So the way that I try to approach it is, you know, I picked a school that I knew served meals family style. So they give him a small portion and then he can ask for more if he wants more. That's the way that this school does it, but not all schools are like that, but I don't know that I would have picked a school that, you know, didn't do it that way. And I've heard stories of, you know, the parents send their lunch to school and they include a cookie in it or something. And the teachers force the kids to eat all the other things before they eat the cookie. And I've seen how other parents have approached it where they just send an email and just say, you know, such and such, my child said that, you know, they had to eat all their other food before they could eat their cookie and they didn't finish all their food. So they had to leave their cookie. And that's not the way that we, you know, approach food at home. Um, all foods are equal. And if she would like the cookie, she can have the cookie. Like I'm giving her permission to have the cookie. Um, but it's, it's hard at school. And so I try, I, I don't know how I'm going to handle, you know, public school, but for daycare, I remind myself, I can only control things that I'm present for. You do like, home, right. Like right. at the I'm, very least, like have those conversations like at home yeah. and, and try to instill that mindset. And yeah. behavior. If I feel like it's really causing a problem for my kids, then of course I'm going to say something, but if it's just like a personal preference and I don't feel like it's affecting his behavior at home, then I'm going to try to take a step back and just say, I'm going to control what I can at home. I'm going to do my best at home. And when he goes to school, like that's their field. And if, you know, if something's bothering me, then I should speak up. But if, if at the end of the day, it's not causing any problems, it's not causing behavior issues. He's not talking about good and bad foods. He's not, you know, alienating this one thing or whatever, like then, then what's, what's it hurting? You know, like, it's okay. And he's going to have a new teacher next year. That's probably going to teach him all new things. It's like, 
Yeah. You're going to relax a little. Exactly. They, what they see most often at home is really like what they're going to carry over. And, they're, uh, and they're, the more open you are about conversations, the more likely your kids are going to be to bring those conversations to you and right. say, Hey, like I learned this thing, like, but we learn we talk about it differently at home. Like what's the deal with that? And then you can have that open dialogue for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Really quick, I want to just touch on exercise because I think a lot of the same concepts in in a sense apply to exercise and just your body. I think it's a lot about language, but when it comes to exercise, like what are some of your like quick tips for fostering a good relationship with exercise too? Like, obviously we're focusing on like fueling our bodies with foods. Like how does exercise play into that? I think, you know, the very most important thing that stands out to me is that exercise is not a punishment. Like we're not exercising because we hate ourselves. We're exercising because it's fun, because it makes us feel good, because it's, um, it gives us energy. Like it feels, makes us feel strong. There's so many, yeah, right. There's so many words that we can use to describe exercise. That's not, um, negative. Now, can we say I'm not excited to work out today? Yeah. Okay. Sure. Like if you're not excited to work out, but you're, maybe you're going to modify your workout and it's like, Oh, I'm, I'm feeling really tired today. Instead of lifting weights, I'm going to go for a walk. Do you want to go for a walk with me? And they'll be like, yeah, of course I want to go for a walk with you. And so it's like, I think it's about use like watching the language you use around yeah. exercise and yeah. knowing that they pick up every little thing. I mean, if you already have kids, you probably know that they pick up everything. So even your actions, your words around things, like they're going to mirror the same stuff. So if you're saying like, uh, I hate exercise or, uh, mommy has to go exercise because, you know, I ate X, Y, Z, like they're going to pick that up and be like, oh, I should do that too. Like I can only eat this if I exercise or like, you know, after I eat this, I should exercise. Mommy wants to be skinny. Mommy wants to, you know, the things that are sort of like degrading ourselves in a way, our kids pick up on that. Our kids are sponges. Like they are going to hear you, whether you think they hear you or not. They're going to hear you and they're going to store that in their little memory bank and hang on to it for later. And, you know, especially with repeated exposure, they're going to hear you say that day in and day out where like, oh, I, I hate working out, but I have to do it if I want to be skinny or whatever, or like, oh, there's a vacation coming up. Mommy has to go work out so I can look good on vacation. And like, that's the kind of stuff that they, and we took with us when we were kids and mm-hmm. that we had to unlearn because our parents did that. That was the generation the process of unlearning because it's definitely not easy. And just like the food, it's, we have to set the example, not only in how we talk about it, but also like in doing it and in a positive way and like encouraging our kids to be involved in, in not only like exercise and strength training. Like I think even setting that mindset from a young age is such an important thing, exposing them to a variety of different types of exercise and, and showing them and explaining you know, Hey, this helps mommy get strong. Um, but also saying like, Hey, like, let's go on a walk. Like even the simplest thing, just like making a movement, a part of your lifestyle is instilling that like healthy lifestyle from a young age. Yeah. The consistency is huge. Like if they know that, you know, after school, mommy goes for a walk, they're going to know that 
that's a good thing. Like that, that's part of We're their like, Hey, after dinner, do we all want to go on a family walk? Like that's like such a good behavior to like implement that. Like as adults, like a lot of us are starting to use for like better digestion and better blood sugar regulation. Like you don't even necessarily have to explain that to your kid, but like just instilling that habit of like, Hey, you know, let's go on a walk after dinner because you know, we want to move our bodies. It's going to help us, you know, feel good after we eat. Um, and just use that positive language around it rather than like, you know, we have to do this or whatever it might be. Yeah. And, you know, I think that realizing that and and telling our kids that these things are making us feel good, like they want to feel good too. And they're going to do things that, um, make them feel good. Also I love that Megan threw in the chat box that Liam asked for walks every day. Now that it's warmer, yeah. like that's what you want is like set that example. And then they start to pick up on it and they're like, Oh, I want to do that too. And that just becomes the norm of yeah. their life. Like, it's no questions asked. Yeah. One of my favorite things is that my, my youngest, my one-year-old, he doesn't say many words, but one word that he says is outside, outside. He wants to go outside. And that's so good too. Like a sunshine and like nature, like again, like such a good thing for our health overall. And Sarah, we were chatting too, when it comes to exercise around like, um, you know, going to the gym and setting that good example for your kids. I know you mentioned that, like, you know, with daycare, sometimes I think moms have this like mom guilt and I'm not a mom yet. Like of a kid, I have a dog and I have dog guilt, but with mom guilt, like I know a lot of our moms that we work with as clients, like it can be hard to, to peel away and say like, Oh, I have to, you know, make the time for this workout for myself. Like I want to be there. I want to spend time with my kids. So what is, what are your thoughts there? Like, what are your solutions there? And like, what would you advise to moms that are finding themselves in that situation? Maybe like they're starting or trying to get into an exercise routine and wanting to set that example, but it's really hard. Yeah. It's, it's really hard. I can't even downplay it. Like it's really hard to make a decision that takes you away from your kids. So there's a few different ways that you can tackle, um, this type of situation. So, you know, for my full-time working moms, we can go from working out in the morning before the kids wake up, right? You're not missing any time. You're up before they are. You get a few minutes to yourself. Goal is like 30 minutes to yourself, right? That's not always going to happen, but it's better than nothing. And even if you just set aside a few days where you do that, um, you're not missing any time with your kids and you're doing something that's going to make you feel better. And maybe your kids know that you do that in the morning. Maybe you, they are able to, um, maybe you video record some of your workouts, or maybe you just talk about how you're going to wake up early and go get your workout so that you can enjoy all the time with your kids. Like you can word, you can phrase the language where it's like a positive thing that you get to go work out in the morning before work or before whatever. So that's one option. You can work out before they wake up. They're never going to know. Um, obviously then you have to adjust your bedtime earlier because you still need to sleep, but that is one option. Option two, um, you work out a few days a week, three, let's say three days. So that's what I'm doing right now is three days a week of workouts. And I am picking two weekdays and one weekend so that I'm not cutting into all my weekend time, but I'm also not spending too many evenings away from my kids. And that's a sacrifice that I chose to make because I know how good working out makes me feel. And I'm not going to feel my best. If I go all week without working out and then try to get two weekend workouts, I'm going to feel stressed. I'm going to feel unhappy, especially if we try to make plans and it doesn't work out that I can get my workout or I try to prioritize my workout over my plans. Like 
it just doesn't work out well for me. And so me as a full-time working mom, I prioritize two evenings a week where I ask my husband to pick up the kids from daycare and I work out on those days. And then one weekend day where we sort of do a switch, like he goes to work out in the morning and I watch the kids and then I bring them to the gym and we just switch off when we get there. Yeah. And I love that you said, bring them to the gym too, because like, yeah, there is this option of like fitting it in when you're not with them, when they're sleeping or whatever. And like that way you're getting it done for yourself. But then you also want to make sure you're having those conversations around and like letting them know that you do exercise and like setting that, that good example. And so I think bringing them to the gym with you, if you do have a, you know, childcare option or not, or if you do work out from home and like incorporating them can be such a huge option as well. Yeah. At home, you can definitely incorporate them. Um, and even like getting them to do the exercises with you. They love that. Like, or you can put on a little video of exercising or yoga or something on the TV and they can follow it and they have someone to watch. Um, but we, yeah, we do a switch off at the gym and luckily a lot of gyms now have childcare at the gym. So if that's an option for you, it's a, it's a good option. Like the kids know that you're going there to work out they know that they're going to go play for an hour or whatever, and that they are going to let you have your time to work out. There's obviously a lot of dynamics to this. If you're a part-time working mom, like you may have more time during the day. Maybe you have one young kid with you or something like that. Like there's a lot of different options is the bottom line. Basically, if you're at home, you know, you have to kind of think about what your priorities are and And making that time for you is, is setting that example and saying like, Hey, like, you know, this is something that's important to me, like, because, you know, being active is important and I want to stay healthy. And I love that Megan threw in the chat box that the workout equipment is in the garage. Like if you do have a home gym and you can make it something that's like, they're exposed to it and they see it. And it's like this normal thing that you're around. I mean, I, I grew up watching my dad get up really early and go to the gym and that was his routine. And, and while I didn't go with him, I knew he was going and exercising and that just like set this standard of like a healthy lifestyle. Yeah, definitely. And we're the same way. We have our workout equipment in the garage. So, you know, we have multiple options and that's probably the minority that we have multiple options. But, um, if we're in the garage and we're like, my husband and I are working out together, then the kids will be out riding their scooters in the driveway or whatever. And and that's a good option for us. We can move our equipment to the backyard if we need to. Um, and then, again, a minority, my husband owns our gym, so we can bring the kids to the gym if we need to. And we definitely have my oldest basically grew up at the gym. My husband was part-time managing the gym and part-time dad, stay at home dad. And it was interesting, but Decker grew up knowing that we were going to the gym every single day. And now he knows that like mommy goes to the gym to exercise and daddy's already exercised. And now that daddy's done, he gets to take them home. Like that's just how our dynamic works. And obviously you can adjust to whatever works well for your family, but having those open discussions about like what we're doing, where we're going, why we're doing it and being able to being willing to answer those questions that your kids are going to have and talking about them in a positive way. Like they don't want to hear that, uh, all the negative things associated with exercise like they turn them off to it and you know every time you go exercise together as a family you're like oh this like sucks it's not very fun huh like they're they're gonna pick up on that too and I think like 
with exercise, food, your body, like there's two main thing themes that I feel like come back for all of these. It's language and the way that you talk about it, the way you think about it yourself too. Um, even, you know, and exposure to like exposing your kids to these foods, food options, exposing them to different exercise options, exposing them to different body types and, and having open conversations in a positive way about each of these things and being willing to talk about it and not like brush it under the rug or look at it as this negative thing or this thing that's off, you know, taboo that we, we don't talk about. Um, it's really opening that door and saying like, Hey, you know, these things are important because we want to be healthy. And like you setting that example yourself, like you being the example and being the change for the kids in your life. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's not easy, especially if you have gone, you know, if I had Decker, he's four. So if I had gone this whole time using a much different language than I had used, um, and I was sort of trying to backtrack and, you know, help him while I can help him erase those like negative things that I had been using, like, it's okay. If you feel like you have done it wrong, there's no such thing as wrong. And our kids, you know, if we have open conversations with our kids about like, um, anything, literally anything, they listen, they listen way more than we think they do. They are sponges, they're sponges and they want to be just like you, especially at a young age. They want to be just like you. They, you are their role model. And so anything that you do, if you want to make a change, if you want to make a tiny habit change and you explain it to them, obviously sometimes they're going to be a little uneasy about it, just like you would be like they, they are many versions of ourselves. And so if you're trying to make a change because you feel like you could do better in certain areas, start small, just like we do with, you know, habit changes and things like that, just start small with your language or with your actions. Don't try to tackle it all at once. Don't try to change every single thing about, you know, the way that you talk and the way that you think have conversations with the other people in your family, whether it's, you know, a spouse or, um, you know, having it in your head, even if you don't have kids yet, having it in your head, how you want to approach those types of conversations or those habits, have a discussion with your significant other so that you guys are on the same page and so that they understand where you're coming from so that you guys can move forward in the direction that you're hoping to be able to raise your kids in. Um, it doesn't happen overnight. So just be patient with yourself and your kids because they, they don't know what's going on unless you tell them. And even then they don't really understand. So just repeated exposure and small habits and you'll, you'll get to the exact place that you want to be. And you'll be able to foster the environment that you want your kids to be raised in. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think this was a super important, helpful conversation. Any like last final closing thoughts when it comes to fostering a healthy relationship with food, exercise, and your body for like yourself and as an example for your children? I think that we covered so much. I think the the last thing, and if you have any questions, please feel free you can message me privately if you want to, but if you would like yeah, you to can plug your Instagram, Sarah, too, for anybody who wants to like go, go message you privately or anything like yeah. that. Um, my Instagram is Sarah Chamblin dot RD. Um, and you can send me a message anytime, literally anyone. Um, 
And if you have any questions before we hop off this call, then please feel free to drop them in the chat box. But um, I think the last like cool little fun saying and quote or whatever that I learned as I was learning a lot of this stuff about introducing foods to kids is that a blueberry is going to taste different at different times that you eat it, right? So a, a blueberry is like the same fruit every time you eat it, but depending on the ripeness or like where it came from or what farm or whatever, like it can taste different every single time you eat a blueberry. And on the flip side, a Cheeto is always going to taste like a Cheeto. Every single time you eat it, it's going to taste the exact same. And that's the point, right? It tastes good and it tastes the same. And that can be really confusing for kids because they think they like blueberries. And then the next time they eat them, you know, they get a sour one or they get one that's like bigger than other ones or whatever. And just try to be patient because they don't understand that. They don't understand that the food that they're eating is the same thing they ate yesterday. Even if it tastes a little different, it's still the same because that Cheeto on their plate is consistent for them and they crave consistency and they want something that's going to taste the same every time. And that's not going to confuse them. So just try to be patient, try to serve it different ways, try to uh, be consistent and do multiple exposures and try not to lose your cool (laughs) because it's easy to do. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thanks everybody who was able to join us live and this will be up um, next week. And I hope this was a helpful conversation. I think it's a really important one that needs to be had, especially as us millennials are kind of, um, unpacking and, and unlearning and really trying to make a difference for future generations. It's, you know, a small little thing that you might not think is a big deal just to like make this one change in your own family. Even if, even if you don't have kids, maybe it's just like in your, in your immediate family, that can make a really big difference and and carry over into so many other people in your life. Yeah, for sure. All right, guys, hope you have a great night and we will talk to you again soon. Bye. If you like what you're hearing on the Fit Balance Healthy podcast, come join us on social media to soak up some more. You can find my personal page at fitbyhand underscore on Instagram and our team page at the.fbh.lifestyle on Instagram as well. You can also find us on TikTok at the.fbh.lifestyle. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. And I can't wait to talk with you again soon.